0: Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. I'm the host and I'm pleased to have you with me. Yannick um, Janik, Ratnituga is a professor um, who's been around the traps for a very long time. He and the Institute of Certified Management Accountants uh, here in Australia presented a submission to the Audit Regulation Inquiry that's been run by the Australian Federal Parliament looking at a series of issues dealing with audit regulation. Now, Janik has got a series of views on where audit is at its weakest, and he joins me today to cover off some of those areas, because some of the questions he asks are pertinent for, for people thinking about how they analyse financial statements and ask more questions about the information that exists. Janik, thank you for joining me today.
1: Uh, thanks, Tom.
0: Now, what what in, what are the key concerns that you have related to the audit product as it stands today? Because part of the logic of having a set of financial statements audited is to ensure things are done in compliance with Um, the various bodies of standards. What are the problems that you see at the moment?
1: Well, what you've just mentioned is exactly the core problem that the audit is a trust mechanism that is made to ensure that we shareholders and other stakeholders are given a true picture of the affairs of the company. But what it actually tells us is not quite that. All it tells us is that the financial statements have been prepared in accordance with the accounting standards. And those accounting standards themselves have been prepared by the very people who are running the audit profession. In other words, some of the members, in fact, almost all of the members of the accounting standards boards, that prepare the standards, the frameworks, are members of the audit profession. So they are setting their own standards, auditing it based on those standards, and giving us a report that um, is only in compliance with those standards. It's not telling us anything more. It's not telling us the true value of the company it is not telling us that there has been no fraud. It has, it's not telling us that any of the transactions have been done ethically, none of that. All it does is to say that they've been prepared in accordance with the accounting standards.
0: But there is a stumble-over provision within the Corporations Act, though, that if something had been uncovered that was unlawful, you would be, the auditors would be obliged to deal with that. Um, absolutely. If they do,
1: un, in the process of the audit, in checking if the accounting standards have been prepared in accordance with the uh, frameworks, uh, if the sorry, accounting reports have been prepared according to the frameworks, they uncover something, they are absolutely um, uh, required to report it, but they are not required to try to find out if there has been any fraud. They have to – it's only if they uncover it in the process. Now, in a forensic audit, which is outside the normal audit, then, of course, they are charged to find out if there is fraud and so on, but that's not part of the requirements of the accounting standards.
0: No, it's certainly not part of the auditing standards either. Correct, Uh, yes. Just just for the information of listeners – when an audit is conducted in accordance with auditing standards, it is typically conducted with an examination of internal controls and also, tip, and also done using samples to test particular transactions. That doesn't mean that an audit examines everything, so it's important for listeners to remember this. You've mentioned there's an issue with the accounting framework that auditors audit against. What are the problems that you perceive? Okay, so I call
1: this the original SIN, the International uh, uh, Financial Accounting uh, Regulations. Um, Sorry, it's called the International Framework, uh, uh, IFRS, okay? Um, And um, that is what provides us with all of the accounting standards. Um, The problem is that these accounting standards are prepared uh, are done by the auditors themselves when they, when they are in these big committees. So they are actually the ones who write up the standards ultimately. And then these auditors audit the um, accounting statements in accordance with those standards. And then they give a report. So let me uh, give an analogy from my own background, the university. It's like the university uh, lecturer setting the syllabus, um, then writing the exam paper, then sitting for that same exam paper themselves, then marking it, and then if there is a complaint, uh, setting adjudication on that uh, report. They do the whole thing themselves. There's no independent uh, body that is responsible for getting involved in that process. So it's very much in-house, and that is a problem. Those accounting standards themselves have major issues.
0: Now, let me take you. Let me test your thinking on that point. Uh, the International Accounting Standards Board is an independent body. Yes. Uh, there are people who have been on there that haven't necessarily been in big four accounting firms uh, in their career. And certainly, Warren McGregor wasn't in an accounting in a big four accounting firm. Uh, in his career uh, while he was in the lead-up to his time at the International Accounting Standards Board. So it may not be a complete inside job, Janik. It may be... It, but
1: Look, Warren McGregor is an um, uh, example of that. I, mean, I think uh, from what I remember, he went on to become a member of the Big Four, right? I'm not 100% sure of it. I knew Warren at the time he was there. Um, but the thing is, if you look at the current uh, committees of the IS, uh, International Accounting Standards Board and the IFRS committees, you will find that it is, okay, I wouldn't say 100%, but a very, very large majority are from a Big Four background. At some stage of their career, they had a Big Four background and influence. Uh, so that's what I'm saying. It's very much in-house.
0: You've also got, um, and, and there's a reason I the reason I ask is that uh, it, we're not talking absolutes here. Um, but there's also a committee. There's also a network of consultative forums and others where um, other other groups and not just people with specialist knowledge, garnered through experience in accounting firms, get involved. However, that doesn't change your central point, which is, yeah, you know, the standards themselves offer various options, they offer various um, uh, ways in which things can be done. Um, is that a concern for you when you look at this discussion?
1: Well, actually, uh, the standards are supposed to not give that much of choice. Uh, there is a bit of choice. But uh, the thing is, in the old days, before we had accounting standards, and we are not talking about that much in the old days, we're talking about the 1960s and 70s, when we had about eight standards, and it was basically, you know, a lot of um, leeway for different decisions. Uh, then we had problems, and the accounting standards are meant to fix that problem by reducing The number of choices that accountants had. But it has just gone overboard and it has got into uh, situations where it's completely away from the normal practices in countries. Uh, Okay, things that are applicable for the United States and uh, and um, UK may not be applicable to uh, India or Indonesia and so on, but we are having these international accounting standards forced on many of these countries. Uh, plus the fact that recently, I think last year, USA walked away from IFRS. Uh, they are only going to stick with GAP. So why are we having IFRS and IFRS compliant auditors um, being forced upon many of the countries, including developing countries, when uh, USA itself has walked away from it, so that's a that's a huge issue. But what I want to go back to is the the point of the uh, financial standards. They are meant to tell you what is the book value of a company. That is all they are saying. That this is the book value. And what do we mean by book value? Is when you add up the different sets of assets that they have, and then they come up with a final number which they call book value. So, and then this, they certify the audit certified that it is true and fair according to accounting standards. Now, without going into too much detail, all book value does is it, it adds up assets of different types, such as assets on cost value. Assets on fair value market value, fair value quoted values, fair value observed values, four different types of assets are then all added up in to give you this book value, which could be completely different in most cases to market value.
0: Now, there are, there are several questions that come to mind given your analysis there. The first is what measurement basis do you believe we should adopt? I mean, you, you rightfully say that there are differences in uh, measurement bases that have evolved over a period of time. What, what? How do you fix the problem you've outlined? <laughs>
1: Very good question. Uh, in uh, I'm 100... hoping
0: for I'm hoping for an answer. <laughs>
1: very in hundred and fifty years uh, in the profession uh, all we have done with our accounting statements is that we moved it from a t account to one on top of the other statement account while all the other professions have advanced significantly we haven't been able to get our basic number right as to what is the value of the company okay so what you have what you have is <clears throat> a situation where all the knowledge economy companies that do not have lots and lots of uh, what we call fixed or non-current assets that are tangible, Uh, they are all intangible assets and none of these are in the accounting statements. Okay, so the IFRS is looking at minute detail about revenue recognition, but they do not recognize intangible assets. So the answer to your question lies in recognizing intangible assets. Uh, So let me give you two very quick ways of fixing the problem. They are not perfect, but they are at least better than what we have currently. One is to have your balance sheets separated into four different balance sheets, one based on cost value, one based on fair value quoted prices, one based on observable prices, and um, one based on estimates. So four different pillars. That's one solution. But another very simple solution that will at least fix the problem is to have on balance sheet debt the difference between market value and book value as a adjustment in the financial statements. Uh, so that is my solution, a simple solution, but at least one that brings the accounting standards in line with market realities.
0: Your point about intangible assets is noted. I mean, the debate over recognition and measurement of intangibles has been going on since... In you know, a time began, but it, it, it's premised on you know, having a number oh, that, that is based on a transaction that exists. Now, you've got two situations that this comes up in. The first is uh, you start up a company, you create a brand. Uh, that brand is what you trade under. It may become popular over time, but you are not putting that on your, in, into your accounts as a as an individual asset because it's you know, it is self generated, um, intangible. Uh, internally generated intangible. Yes, correct. In the, yeah. other, in, in the other context is you're purchasing a brand, you're purchasing a an asset, you're purchasing IP. Um, there is an exchange price. There is a historic cost that you pay. Yes. Had, yeah. The problem that you're talking about is the inherent distrust some people have of something that is internally generated, being valued, um, and then put on a balance sheet how do you respond to that particular level of that, that particular concern in that context
1: tom you actually um, hit the nail on the head because ifrs and all accounting and even the old gap required there to be a external third party transaction for one to record an intangible asset so for example at the moment microsoft's balance sheet value is about only 5% of its market value of Microsoft is not on the accounting standards. Now, supposing Google suddenly bought Microsoft, they would buy it at market value. And then suddenly, these intangible assets would appear on the balance sheet as goodwill. Now, that is totally incorrect. Is that asset there or not? Okay, so why should we pay auditors huge sums of money to audit books that have 95% of the company not recorded? So what I'm saying is there's plenty of models in finance both for listed and unlisted companies to value the company at a particular date. Why don't we bring the difference between the market value as valued and the book value into the books, okay, through our accounting standards? So that's my point. That should not be this whole business of a third-party transaction. Plus the fact that IFRS itself does not require a third-party transaction when it does fair value. It has three different fair values, uh, which have nothing to do with third-party transactions, such as market value, quoted prices, and observable prices. None of those have market values. Many of them are based on estimates. So why can't we estimate the intangible asset the same way? Why only the tangible asset?
0: Now, have you been monitoring what the banks are doing at the moment with estimated credit losses?
1: No, I haven't been, but a bank is a very good example, okay, of what's the problem with the accounting standards. If you go to a bank for a loan on your on the house that you want to purchase, the bank will tell you that they give you 80% of the value of the house for the loan. And then you you can't tell the bank, okay, okay, that's fine. Let me get my house valued by my own valuer. The bank will tell you to, you know, go somewhere. They will give their own valuation valuer to come and value your house. But in the case of IFRS, the company uses its own subjective valuers to give the value of their tangible assets. And that's the big problem that happened with the um, with the what's this uh, subprime mortgages. You had Dun & Bradstreet and others giving their opinions as to what those values were. And we know that now those opinions are useless because the values are less than zero.
0: But again, we looked at intangibles. Now we're looking at the, the valuation methods. Yes. What? How do we solve it?
1: But but there are there are very good valuation models. And first of all, for listed companies, on the balance sheet date, the market value. Can be used now. Someone will say, but the market value is highly volatile. True, but the volatility doesn't go 90% different. Okay, it can in certain times go 10%, 20%, 30%, but not 90% like in Microsoft. So you use market value on balance sheet date for the difference. For non-listed company, there are tons of um, valuation models, including the free cash flow model, that we can use to value non-listed companies, value them based on a well-known formula and then bring the difference into the books. It's not that hard.
0: The uh, The other point that, that uh, just highlights the issue you have raised is that uh, even if things are frozen at historic cost in the accounts, it doesn't mean that volatility goes away. Correct. I mean, the market... It you you can freeze you can account for historic cost and just make no adjustments. Let's assume that's all the company does, and then when it comes to balance date, it needs to do something because there are different there are material differences in what it might get for a particular asset it has on its books at at number at value X. Um, so all of that and. Um, All of that and more uh, just makes it interesting when you reflect on where where our accounting has come from.
1: Correct. Uh, Correct. I mean, uh, basically I'm going back to my original point that IFRS actually really needs to be revamped, okay? It is uh, looking at things that give us a value that is completely different to market value and somehow – in our today's knowledge economy companies, your name is Google, Facebook, all of that, is the intangible assets that have value. And if any accounting standard does not recognize that, uh, it is of no value at all to investors. So we are having smoke and mirrors in our accounting statements that are audited and said true and fair when it's
0: untrue and unfair.
1: Now, if you have time, I can give you a, a very quick example
0: Okay. Yeah, let it, give me an give me example that's on your mind. Yeah, so there is a company uh,
1: that I know in Sri Lanka that is over 100 years old. It bought a, a property 100 years ago for essentially $1,000. US uh, That company's factory has moved out of the main city, Colombo, and that land is now free. Around it has come huge condominiums and shopping malls and so on. But this land, uh, the directors are saying that they have no intention of selling it. So under IFRS, if you have no intention of selling it and you're not holding it as an investment, it can be kept at cost value. So here is a big four accounting firm saying that these accounts are true and fair when they are one of their biggest assets, which is now worth about 35 million US dollars, is still valued at 100 $1,000. Now, is that... Is that something that we should be paying money to the auditors to give us that totally false report?
0: Yeah, but is prepared on a historical basis and, and nobody wants to sell it. Yes. Well, the directors are claiming that they don't want to sell it, but they know
1: that if they do say they want to sell it, suddenly they'll have to get a fair value every year, which is going to cost them a lot. So they're saying, no, we have no intention of selling it. They don't have to keep their promise. They just say they have no intention, and then it is kept at cost value. So these are huge holes that IFRS has in its tangible assets, let alone its intangible assets. And then, of course, there is this intangible asset issue. It,
0: it that's an interesting point on which to to end the end the conversation, because principally uh, your argument is there are holes in in the way in which IFRS works that need to be fixed in order for aspects of financial reporting to be more meaningful to those people that require it.
1: That is correct. Thanks. That's exactly what I'm trying to say.
0: Okay. Janet, thank you so much for for joining me. Now, you've got a website that that has a lot of information about what you do with the management accountants. What's the website? Where can people go to learn more about you? It's very simple. It is uh,
1: www.cmawebline.org. One word, dot org.
0: Okay, that is great. Kenne, thank you for joining me today. It's been uh, it's been great fun talking to you. Okay, thanks. Tom. Okay, bye. Uh, have a good one. to you bye.